podcast one production. You feel like you're in some kind of movie at this point. Is It's got a dreamlike quality to it where it's the life everyone kind of wants. You're like, I'm going out, I'm eating amazing food, I'm drinking. The bills are just paid for. Who wouldn't want free money from a bank, especially if the bank did nothing about it? Daniel Saunders was faced with this opportunity in 2011 and he ripped off millions from the ATM network of the National Australia Bank. Welcome to Adam Shand at Large, ATM Boy. In part one, I began the story of ATM Boy and his friends, some old, many new. They embarked on a spending spree of epic proportions. To understand how bizarre this story became, I spoke to Richard, one of the crew that came along for the ride. Richard, not his real name, met Saunders one afternoon at the racetrack in Melbourne. He invites me to dinner. And at dinner, he's got this, like, he's a, a, an assembled cast of people being collected like myself. And he's spending money, like, the, the ordering of the food, it's not inhibited in any way. It's just encouraged to just order whatever you want, like a banquet. A banquet's coming out. The bills are coming, and he's just, he's paying them in a manner that wasn't like you'd expect from someone working in finance or anything like that. He didn't have that that reserve. He was too outgoing, cheerful and encouraging. And there wasn't almost that sense of arrogance or like really feeling pretentious about the wealth at all. It was so giving and confusing because who, who, who does that? And I guess everyone's getting excited by this and the atmosphere is, is intoxicating. Perfect ways to describe it is, it is intoxicating. So what did you think? What was your guess? This was where it was quite a, a mystery. There was definitely an air of mystery about him because if you go through the normal possibilities, you think like, oh, like maybe he's a, maybe he's a drug dealer. But he's, there's definitely no element of drug dealer about him. No seediness. He's not like a maniac on his phone. He doesn't have five phones. And then like maybe he's like comes from an incredibly wealthy family but doesn't have that kind of, once again, pretension about him or he's just... A good Aussie bloke. You'd just get like a text from him, like, he'd say, like, come to the park, hire. And you'd go up and there'd be like four beautiful women in the suite. And then that's that. that, that that's what you're doing for the day. Is you're just like. Swiring these beautiful women around and. Yeah. Feeling like a millionaire. Yeah. I can see how that would be uh, habit forming. Yes. Yes. Habit forming is probably a very apt description for how it was. The most memorable one that I can remember is when he texts me. And he's like, "Come meet me in Essendon. We're gonna, we're gonna get on, we're gonna get on a plane." And I was like, "What? Is he serious?" But at this point, the habit had formed of just like money flowing in a in a pretty outrageous manner. So I was like, "I'm not gonna pass this up. Go to Essendon, get on a plane. We head head north for a couple of hours, land at a private island." And he's like, "Now we've got a seaplane after this. Go from there somewhere else. It's just this beautiful resort." Red carpets are rolling out. An un- truly unforgettable experience on the drop of a hat. Like, yeah, sometimes you'd just be, you'd see him just kind of sitting back enjoying the atmosphere he created, like a like a conductor looking over at people, like playing the instruments in the way he, like, the way he measures out. I wonder whether that, combined with the sense that, well, banks are bastards, this almost feels like a victimless crime at this stage. At no point did I ever think poor Nab. Oh, why? 
you know, I would have thought poor Mrs. Smith if, you know, like you had been taking from her pension fund or something, but, but I wasn't, you know, like it was, I was overdrawing my own account. So essentially it was my own debt. People would see you as a bank robber though. Well, you found an easy way to rob a bank. Yeah, but I, you know, without the balaclava and all the paraphernalia, yeah, yeah, for sure. I felt like I was part of a sort of a game. It wasn't really about the money either. It was about just, you know, the next thing. Oh, what's going to happen now? Even though he was in control of what was happening, there were times when Dan felt like he'd walked into a covert morality test. At times I actually thought that I might have been being followed or it might have been actual an experiment. So Truman Show. Yeah, that's how it felt because it was so easy. So I thought maybe it's actually part of a social test or, you know, something like that. He started to feel like he might just crack up. Everything began to feel surreal. Even the bank logo seemed to speak to him personally. You're looking at a bank sign, the National Australia Bank, that classic NAB sign. Yeah. You see it in the mirror image. What does it say? Dan. Well, yeah, it's, um, you know, backwards Dan. As I was doing all the transactions at night, I'd approach the ATM and, and then do the thing, and then as you're walking away, you'd see the reflection in the, in the window of the branch that says Dan. I, I don't know, it just seemed a bit, bit sort of eerie. It was just... A bit uh, dreamlike. I used to laugh at it, yeah. I used to think to myself, you know, like, what's, what's going on there type of thing? And, you know, their, their motto at the time, you know, more give, less take... We always used to joke about that, saying, yeah, well, they've hit that on the head, you know. (laughs) But this thing was taking as much as it gave to Saunders. His old life was boring and simple by comparison, but this new one was built on fantasy and deception. He was losing the sense of who he was. The spirit of adventure in the early days had given way to a growing dread as to how this would end. He was isolated from his family, particularly his mother, who'd been his rock since his father had died in Dan's teens. Of course, I didn't tell her. I went to see her and, you know, she said, oh, you you look different. (laughs) So what do you mean different? She said, oh, I don't know what it is, but different, something different. It all came crashing down for Dan in the foyer of a Sydney hotel. I thought I might have been having a heart attack or something. Everything was sort of spinning. There was a doctor staying there. At, uh, at the time, he came over and, uh, you know, he said, what, what kind of industry do you work? And I said, oh, financial. And he said, oh, yeah, that's probably enough, you know, to do it to you, probably under a bit of stress. Events seemed to be moving toward a climax for Dan. He thought he'd be arrested. His alter ego, ATM boy, still believed the card would somehow provide a solution to his predicament. And it did, although it involved even more stealing. Saunders realised he could transfer one cent less than $1 million per transaction. For the first time, he began to think like a criminal, not a customer foolishly overdrawing his own account. This had been about seeing what happened next, but now his thoughts turned to making off with the loot. Then you discover that you can take anything up to $1 million per transaction. This opens up a whole new vista. This is not just small beer, it's not just hotel room, this is now telephone numbers of money. Yeah, yeah. And you were faced with a choice. What was the thought process? What was the the choice that was confronting you? Well, I was, you know, I was thinking, well, they're, you know, they're gonna be onto you by now. They're gonna realize, you know, what's happening. They've got it, they've got to be. But I, I don't think they were, I don't think they knew anything. But 
I definitely had the had the thinking of yeah, I'm gonna escape overseas and you know never come back and that sort of thing. You worked out you yeah. could take out up to a million dollars per day, and then send that overseas. Well, I could just transfer it over. I could just transfer it overseas. It wasn't it wasn't a case of uh, it was just normal. I mean, the internet was around. It was just internet banking. You could just transfer it away, and you know, like it was very very simple. I felt like a, a dumb secret agent, basically. Because it was too easy. It was like hunting at the zoo. So this short window would become your life, effectively. Yeah, yeah. Were you prepared for that? Um, I was, yeah, mentally, no problem. What was the next part of the plan, if there was one? Well, you know, like obviously, you know, there involves some kind of sailboat, obviously. I mean, no one's gonna escape to some, you know distant island without some sort of white yacht. Is the lobster ready? Is everything okay? Do you need to send for some more supplies? You know? but yeah, you know, that kind of thing. You know, daily island fantasy life. Yeah, absolutely. But conscience makes cowards of us all. If he ran away, our bank robber would have to leave his family and friends behind. Yeah. But then you consider other people. Yeah. Could you see your mother again, do you think? She's never done a wrong thing in her life. She does the right thing. So... To ask her to make contact with her somehow and get her to come across the world and see me because I've holed up on some island somewhere, it just freaked her out too much. And it might sound like I'm saying I didn't do it because of my mum. I don't think that's true. I think it's because I wouldn't have liked to see my mother or imagine my mother getting old not knowing where her son was. And I reckon it would have, it would have crushed her. Yeah. So at this point, you're just bouncing around in your own, own moral universe. Yeah. Your own satellite moving around. There's nothing pushing you. There's nothing forcing you. You can do whatever you want. But you choose to stop it. Yeah. yeah. Why? Well, I had enough, I guess. I was like, you know, I've pushed into the millions. Well done. What was the total, by the way? Oh, I couldn't even tell you. One point six, I've seen. Yeah, well, that was that was that was a balance at some point, but it's yeah, who knows? But I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it wasn't real money. It was just you know, it was just it was just numbers on a on a on a computer. Ones and zeros. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it wasn't you know, it wasn't anything. I mean, you could transfer it, you could get it out, you could transfer it, but the bulk of it was just on page. Okay, so you stopped doing the transfers, but you've still got eighty thousand dollars. In yep. cash, yep. in a laundry bag, yep. in a Sydney hotel. Yep. You decide that you're going to give yourself up and the money. Yep. You go down to the bank, the nearest NAB branch. Yep. What happened next? Well, I said, uh, you know, uh, there's been this thing happen on my, on my account. I've overdrawn the account and, you know, this, that and the other. So then they put me on the phone with, with someone from the security team who said to me, that we can't speak to you about this. This is a uh, police investigation now. And uh, yeah, sort of cut me off and then that was it. It was very sort of school principal-ish, you know, like, you've done the wrong thing, you know, you should, you know, you're gonna have to live with that now, blah, blah, blah. And um, yeah, all I wanted to tell them was I had the 80 80 grand in their Hilton laundry bag and they were were welcome to it, yeah. And they wouldn't take the money from you? Well, I, I didn't even have a chance to tell them I had it. So yeah, then I went um, back to back to the hotel, and um, I just uh, 
basically put the money in the, in the bathtub, had sort of some tipping tens, probably about $5,000 in tipping tens, and, and just gave, you know, sort of 10 bucks to everyone who sort of entered the room. So it was quite popular amongst the staff and, you know, things like that. And, um, yeah, just paid the hotel bill each day and just I thought, oh, they'll just come and pick me up here. But ended up staying there for another 20 nights or something and nothing happened and I, you know, got down to a couple of thousand left. So I don't know. I still remember that time as being pretty positive. I mean, it wasn't terrible. It was just like, okay, well, this crazy thing's done now at least. And it sort of felt better that you'd yeah, fished up in a way. Yeah. After that, I just slept on a mate's couch for a while and sort of thought, okay, well, this is weird. And yeah. And, and every time I sort of made a, a bit of contact, I, I never rang the police, but I rang the bank and, you know, they said it's going to be dealt with soon and all the rest of it. So I was like, okay, no worries. Dan was prepared to confess his crime but not to reveal that he was Dan Saunders' country barman to the women he'd deceived. People like Suzanne, not her real name, were left to wonder. So one day, he just ceased to contact you anymore? Yeah, he just disappeared. It was a bigger thing for me and I, you know, I went and saw a counsellor for a while and tried to sort a few things out in my head about it, but um, I did miss him for a long time and, yeah, I don't know, it was all a bit hard. <laughs> I think there's a, like, there's a deep romantic streak in Dan giving her like a movie-esque romance, like some kind of almost like a fairy tale environment where it's, he's whining and dining, he's falling in love, they're falling in love with him. Is he loving them? I'm not sure because there was so many. Well, I thought, you know, as soon as the money drains out, then they're just going to come and get me. There was no longer any thought of running away, so Dan got a job back in hospitality in a popular restaurant in outer Melbourne. It was back to normal for Dan, or so he thought. The restaurant was apparently in trouble. Well, basically, they just stopped paying everyone. The manager left. There was a cleaner who was owed seven weeks' pay. There was uh, all the staff, you know, 40 staff owed uh, months' sort of wages and things like that. So once... Once the manager left, I was sort of the, the senior person there, at least, you know, front of house. And um, we just made it sort of packed with everyone that will run the restaurant for cash and we'll try and get back everyone's money. So that's what we did. Finally, you know, the, the, the people came and said, you know, the new owners came in and all the rest of it. Then, then I worked out that, you know, that they were one and the same. They were very, very close um, and they were um, basically tr- just transpired to, uh, you know, get out of pain paying debts just just a scam or maybe it was a debt between themselves or i'm not sure but it was definitely a case of them not paying people so uh because i was in charge of it for so long um there were certain promises that i'd made to suppliers and things like that um so when i when i sort of realized that hey these people are just the same then i just took off one day and i just paid the people that i promised i'd pay so you went to the safe yeah took the takings out and distributed it and took yeah. some for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I stand by that decision to do that 100%. Once again, nothing happened and he wasn't arrested. He ripped off millions from the bank, $20,000 from the restaurant, and he was free. He decided to cease his half-hearted attempts at surrender for the bank job to see if he could live with the guilt of what he'd done. He had left Victoria for a new relationship in Queensland, but his problems followed him like a dark cloud. He decided to take matters into his own hands, and so he returned to Melbourne and approached me to write a story that would land him in jail. 
At first I found the whole thing unbelievable, but then Saunders showed me the bank statements, month after month of the most extravagant spending. The strange thing was there was no record of the transfers from his MasterCard to his savings account, only hundreds of thousands of dollars flowing out of the account. It had to come from somewhere, and it certainly wasn't from ATM boys' wages. I had no way of knowing how much had been transferred. All the statements say that I was always behind in money, but to actually spend the money, I had to have been in front. So, because the transactions wouldn't have gone through. It says declined. It's not going to let you do it. So, the accounts were, had millions of bucks in them. I asked around and found no one was chasing him. I called the bank and a spokesman said the police would eventually catch up with ATM boy, but they couldn't say when. So, we set about forcing the hand of the bank and the cops, daring them to take action against Dan. He could have just gone to the nearest police station, but there was also a part of Dan that wanted to share this experience, to revel in it, a foolish idea I was happy to support. That story, that first story in The Age. The Age is a major metropolitan newspaper in Victoria. We hired a private jet. We decked you out in a dinner suit. Yeah. We told all the stories. You didn't revel in it, but you certainly didn't hold back. So to me, it seemed like, well, we're going to do this, we're going to, we're adding insult to injury here. Yeah. And I expected I would get a call the following day. Yeah. And nothing happened again. Nothing happened again. You were prepared to face the music, but you weren't going to go to the band. Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the term was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to uh, give them, you know, the rope, but I'm not going to tie it for them, you know. The age story is run and done. No reaction. Now, let's go again. So we go to a current affair at Channel 9. Channel 9 is an Australian national TV network. Top-rating program, millions of viewers. Tell the story again in yet more outlandish detail in hotel rooms and jets and whatnot and all the, all the stuff going on. I forget the exact setups, but it was pretty lurid. And it was tabloid TV and there it was. Yeah. Again, nothing initially. But when he returned to Channel 9 to pick up some photos and documents, police were waiting. Are you under arrest? Under arrest, mind. Yep, no worries. Do you understand these rights? Yep. Do you have any ID on you? No. Nothing? Nothing. Yeah, they filmed the arrest and it was all pretty sort of dramatic, except I wasn't being very dramatic. What did the copper say to you? I should have run or something, I think. You, know, you weren't running, were you? Weren't no, but just to make it a bit better TV. But <laughs> anyway, I could have worked with them if they wanted to do something like that. I honestly thought Dan would get five years for his crimes, but there was a distinct lack of interest in throwing the book at him. They never even worked out how much he'd stolen. The cops and the courts just sort of took our word for it. The prosecution case was pretty much cobbled together from my stories on Dan and the confessions he'd made in them. Because when you got to court, the bank provided a page and a half. Yeah. I think it was of a statement. Yeah. And it was, to me, it just, it was, it didn't seem right. It didn't explain the extent of it, nor the method, nor anything in it. Did that surprise no, you at even that point? No one from the bank was there. The judge didn't realise what I'd done, just that I'd taken money and it was bad. And you pled guilty? And I pled guilty. Of course I've been guilty, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Saunders got 12 months jail for the bank robbery and another six months for the restaurant theft. But the sentences were served concurrently, so he was away just a year. And the punishment wasn't exactly what he expected. Probably not proud to say, but I, you know, I got to see it. I got to see you know, what it's like and got to be a fly on the wall, six foot fly, but yeah, a fly. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, 
It was like being one of those shows. But jail was real, not a TV show, and he witnessed its full potential in a maximum security facility in the early months of his sentence. But you witnessed some pretty ordinary things, extreme violence. Oh, just, some, yeah, some pretty crazy sort of stuff. Obviously, you know, drug deals gone wrong and, and that sort of thing. Um, I remember one, one guy saw the wrong end of a dunny brush and the bloody brush was uh, displayed for the unit to see and, you know, see what happens if you fuck with us type thing. Um, so it was... And then was that man in turn copped his own payback. I'm yeah, well, yeah, in the yard the next day, you got yeah, stabbed, stabbed to death. It was, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a crazy, crazy, you know, crazy place, yeah, for sure. Even more surreal was the moment when one of his mates who'd been on the spree turned up in jail as a warder. Hilarious. <laughs> I was working in the kitchen one day and, uh, yeah, comes along and pops his head in and says, well, you know, you, you're all right. <laughs> it's a funny place. If you engage in any conversation with, for a prolonged period of time with, with a prison officer, it's like you're doing something on the, on the dodgy. So, you know, I, like, I was like, what are we going to talk about here? You know what I mean? What, what do you want to do? Like, shake your hand? Like, you know, it was definitely funny. While in jail, he reflected on the people like Suzanne, whom he'd deceived. I definitely fell in love with him. Um, it was quite uh, heartbreaking when he suddenly disappeared. Like, I didn't understand any of it. And then he sent a letter from prison and explained everything. Dear Suzanne, as you've probably heard by now, I'm in jail. Poor Philip, to be exact. Nestled in the growth area of Western Melbourne. I just was like, what the hell? Like, who are you? Initially, I was quite angry, and I was like, oh, you fooled me. But then, looking back on it now, I was like, well, I kind of, if you put yourself in that position, what would I do? And I don't, I probably would do the same. So, I guess in that sense, it's, it's been a worthwhile experience <laughs> in some way. Well, yeah, you, I mean, I got to see a side of me that kind of was the same side of him, really. Wanting to be recognised and wanting life to be a bit more interesting than what it was. And... It was, you know, seeing him and going out with him made me forget about the shittiness of it all, really. The moments we shared were amazing. Swimming in the shallows at Lord Howe Island springs to mind. In another life, I think we could have been something amazing. Hopefully you remember the good times. You probably say good riddance, haha. I wish you all the very best and I wish you nothing but health and happiness for the man who is who he says he is, Dan. It's a bit like one of those romantic comedies where... The guy pretends to be something else and then he's not and then she, she falls out of love with him. But in the end, she realises the human qualities that she really liked about him were the things yeah. she liked about him, you know? And it's, so yeah. there's no chance of a reconciliation here? Oh, I don't know. It messed me up a bit, the whole thing. And it took a while to get over it and sort my feelings out. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to think about it <laughs> too much, you know? So this bank job wasn't so easy after all. Dan didn't see himself as a criminal, no more than he believed that he was a heartless user of women. The money led him into that fantasy world, but his conscience brought him back. That's why he didn't flee Australia with the bank's money when he could have, and why he explained himself to Suzanne. Let's roll forward a few months into the future. It's a dark night. Having a drink with a mate. Go to the ATM. The same thing opens up in front of you? Well, I'm only going to be using my own card with my own accounts and I have uh, great pleasure in telling you that I cannot perform a transfer on an ATM and I do not even have a NAB card. So, uh, word's got around. If they're silly enough to 
open the door again on that, um, then, you know, I've got no words, but, you know, I don't think it's going to happen again. He's been out of jail for more than a year, but there's still the matter of a fine to pay to the bank, $250,000. That is, if the bank chases him this time. Ah, I do have a bill, yeah, yeah. Paying this fine will take some time on a waiter's wage. Yes, Dan has gone full circle. He's working in a restaurant. Everyone knows his story, and invariably they offer opinions on what they would do with a magic ATM card. Well, they say, you know, you should have gone overseas. You could have just, you know, sent for your mum. You should have gone and lived a beautiful life on an island eating fruit and sleeping with exotic women. At the end of all this, ATM boy has no regrets. Daniel Saunders is a work in progress. Life seems very boring to him now. Even jail was part of the thrill. It's, it was like one of those choose-your-own-adventure books you read as a kid, you know. If you uh, do the transfer, go to page 14. If you choose not to do the transfer, go to page 9. You know what I mean? I wanted to see all scenarios. I wanted to see what would happen. I don't regret doing any of it. I reckon it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sort of get involved in something I wouldn't have normally been uh, been involved in it, it probably copped a bit of flack for it um saying it but it, it was definitely the best ride i've ever been on for sure yeah. he wanted to show his mates a good time but perhaps not surprisingly very few have stuck to him and new friends disappear when they know his history it was the ultimate test of, of, of friendship and and you know whilst i don't expect you know the world you know, some people that you would have thought would have been there really, really dropped off the face of the planet. And I think if you, if you, only if you went through something like that is an opportunity to, to sort of test that out because I don't think we get tested like that in our sort of daily life. There's no doubt that Saunders is one of the most unusual offenders I've dealt with. He'd come to me to confess. But I still wondered whether he told me everything. As I told you, the transfers didn't show up in the account, only the money that he spent. So he couldn't tell me exactly how much he transferred, only that it was in the millions. When he didn't withdraw the cash, it fell back into the digital ether from where it came, like it never existed. But I still wonder about that. If he was prepared to steal from the bank and a restaurant, why would ATM boy leave so much more money lying on the table? His friend Richard, who he met during the spree, wondered the same thing. Do you think Dan's that kind of person? It's, it's hard to imagine a person who isn't. That's the, that's the strange thing about Dan. That's the peculiar thing in the story is maybe he does have an SD, who knows, but I don't think so. But it just seemed like almost puzzling when it turned out that he didn't have, like, a Panama bank account or something, like, just loaded to the brim. Yeah, it was puzzling. It, was, it is puzzling to me because, you, as you say, you assume that, that you think you're going to go through this, you're going to front up to it when they weren't chasing you, okay? So that means you're trying to get your jail sentence out of the way, then you can go and enjoy your money. But, hey, yeah. if there's no money, what's it been all about? Yeah. Maybe it was just the experience. That's a truly remarkable thing to do then. ATM Boy is determined to keep a little bit of mystery about this part of the story. A number of people listening, and I guess part of me would say, well, he fronted up. He went to jail, paid the cost. Jeez, if it were me, oh, I might have put a few things aside, a bit of money, sent a bit of money overseas. Do you want to comment on that? Is there anything? I 100% do not want to comment on that. Absolutely not. 
producer was Sarah Grinberg. Mixing, editing and theme music by Matt Nikolic. Executive producer, Grant Tothill. Adam Shand at Large is a Podcast One Australia production. 